0: Hey, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday. We' continue through the first letter of Paul to Timothy. Um, and as we closed yesterday, we had gone through some uh, some kind of difficult ground. Paul had given a long list of uh, of sins and of behaviors that he felt were just not in keeping with Christian life. He continues, though, to do that in the context of instructing Timothy how to be a leader in the church, and particularly, uh, as we saw a couple days ago, how to call people who were teaching improper things to account. And so today we get a little more devotional. If, you were, if you've been with us in previous Bible studies, when we look at some of Paul's letters, you will remember perhaps that Paul has these moments when he writes that he almost breaks out into... Doxology. He, he will, he will be writing and then he kind of just uh, almost turns it into liturgy. And we don't quite get there today, but we do get a, a sense of that. And we'll see that in other parts of this letter. So let, let me read the first verse here, verse 12, and then we'll do some discussion. I'm grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. So. This is bedrock for Paul. Uh, Gratitude that Christ has called us, that Christ has given us grace because he judged me faithful. Now, that doesn't mean if you you know Paul's theology, you understand that doesn't mean that Paul thinks he was worthy of the call. What he means is that having called him, Jesus continues to strengthen him because he's faithful in his service. Now, this sounds subtle, but what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that once you are called, you must continue to be faithful, right? Because who is he still dealing with? People who consider themselves Christian, but in Paul's estimation are teaching the wrong things, thereby being unfaithful. So what what is Paul saying about the situation? He's saying, I'm grateful and I'm strengthened because he judges me faithful in his service, and he's going to then say, you too, other people, want to be judged faithful in his service. And he has indicated that he at least thinks at this point that may not be the case.
1: You know, uh, Clint, one of the important tools for for biblical study— is, is simply, you know, just paying close attention to the text. And I, I want to share this with you to give you a scope for what uh, impact that can have. So I'm looking back a few verses here, verse 6. Notice the subject here. Some people have deviated from these, or here he's talking about the, the pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Some people have deviated from these things and they've turned to meaningless talk. So, now Paul, in saying some people's identifying the, the them, right, the, those people that we've already talked in previous conversations about identifying. Look at verse 8. Now, we know that the law is good. Who, who is we? Well, obviously, Timothy is the subject of this letter. So, he is, in a way, including Timothy in this teaching that Paul has been offering. Notice the distinct tone and shape. Of the argument that changes in verse 11 when he ends it with, which he entrusted to, God entrusted to me. Now, suddenly, verse 12, I am grateful, who has strengthened me. Paul has now switched into first person, and in doing so, that small detail shows us he has made his case uh, to differentiate the gospel that he's received from the gospel of them, right? Those who have departed. In fact, he goes so far as to include Timothy in that say, you know, we know this together. We know these truths. Now he's going to shift gears and he's going to share how his own stature as an apostle, the gift that he's been given, or the language he uses here today in verse 12, uh, his service, this is fundamentally now the place where Paul's going to start making Uh, his constructive argument. He's going to begin making the case of what should be the case. Paying attention to things like that bears substantial fruit because what it does is it helps us put in context the stuff that's come before, right? The, The things that sort of live in the middle there are important building. Uh, they're really a bridge that get us to this section. But now when we see Paul switching into first person, we know he's now making a constructive argument based upon his own experience. And, and that is an important detail. It, it does have a ring of doxology. I think maybe I would say it has a kind of uh, theological, laudatory nature to it. it. It's very high and lofty theologically in, in the wording. Um, it is celebratory, and and that tone shift itself, I think, tells us that Paul's intending to point the way forward here. This is the Paul beginning to build to where he wants to go. So as readers, now our goal is, okay, now we need to dig in, because the point uh, is if not here, it's near at hand, and we need to be paying attention.
0: So the early church is well acquainted with Paul's story, his status as a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church, he, he doesn't hide from that, although interestingly enough, he doesn't trot that out in every letter. He uses it very carefully, very cautiously, and I think sparingly, but knowing that they know his story, he, he does take a moment to mention that part of it. So as we move into verse 13, even though I was formerly a, a blasphemer, a persecutor, And a man of violence, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. This is one of those wonderful moments in Paul's writings where there's two very clear layers at work here. On the on the surface, he's saying exactly what it sounds like he's saying. I'm grateful to Jesus Christ because he's judged me faithful in his service, even though I used to be a blasphemer. A persecutor and a man of violence, but Christ's mercy came to me because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and and all of that is true. Paul would claim all of that as accurate in describing his situation. However, in, in the sort of masterful way that Paul writes, there's a subtext here, and the subtext is I formerly was those things. And once one comes to Christ, they can no longer be those things. So this is a subtle warning to the people that he said already in the letter are teaching the law improperly, right? And I acted ignorantly in unbelief. In other words, I didn't know better. And he will make the argument, you do know better. Timothy, you have to tell these people that they should know better because they're not ignorant. They know the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have benefit of having heard the teaching that I gave you and that you give them, and they therefore have no excuse if they persist in this wrongness of doctrine and preaching and teaching because they are not then covered by the excuse that they didn't understand what they are doing. So the 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 key word here is formally, ignorantly, and unbelief. And if you understand how Paul is using that, I think it's really interesting that on one hand he's telling his story, on the other hand he is sending a clear warning and I think a um, a, a pretty clear message to the people that he's going to take the task.
1: I agree with everything you've just said, Clint. Maybe the only thing to add would just be a note looking backwards to yesterday. just remember uh, as Paul listed these who have gone astray, these false teachers, note that in including himself in this list of blasphemer, persecutor, man of violence, he very clearly does not believe that it is the former nature that determines future result. He believes 100% that Jesus Christ, the grace given and the grace received is the thing that makes a person. And so it both does shape our understanding of yesterday's conversation, but I think it also reminds us of what Paul understands to be of the core of the gospel, Clint, that there, there's nothing in our past resume which keeps us from the saving grace, the lordship, to use Paul's language, of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he does have a kind of optimistic hope uh, at least a persistent hope that if one is to receive that grace it, it to come into the mercy that is on offer that it has a transformative ability for every one of us and uh, you know he's he's going kind to of continue that as he goes on here
0: right and and this is the i think as we get into verse 14 this is really where we see the kind of poetic part the the doxological part almost um and the grace of our lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. So this is beautifully written, beautifully spoken. I I had acted ignorantly. I had acted in unbelief. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I had been a man of violence. But the grace of our Lord overflowed. There was more than enough. There was an abundance for me. And the result was faith And love, but not any faith or love, the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is, um, Paul has a wonderful gift in these moments for putting tremendous depth and meaning into just a few words. And if we read them carefully, I, I think it hits a very high note here. We have, we have grace, we have faith, we have love, and all of that attributed to his experience of being in Christ Jesus. And uh, this is um, very close to to Paul, I think, preaching.
1: Yeah, you know, what you see here at the end of verse 13 is it kind of has a a few different little lenses because on one hand, uh, when he says, I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, it, it shows us that Paul has an accommodation, an understanding that not all have the same access to the understanding of the faith. That that even in his own life, he would say that there were some things he believed to be true, um, but he he had acted wrongly because he simply um, didn't believe. But then, interestingly, you know, that turns on these opponents as well, right? Because fundamentally, Paul's going to make the case, as he already has, that their actions are such, or, or at least— that the outcome of of those who overemphasize the law uh, is unto a kind of lawlessness unto itself. Uh, Here, he's in a way making a contrast between the time in which he was in unbelief and those who now seem to, in their own life, be living in unbelief, even though they may think of themselves as teachers. I I think Paul is an amazing writer. He's an amazing uh, sort of pastoral figure because uh, he can do many things with one brushstroke. He can both encourage and lift up. He can point to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in this beautiful way, and he can simultaneously give us just a little bit of a sense for the sharp edge that this may have for those other people reading the letter, Uh, those who may not be receiving it with the warm-hearted kind of tone that Timothy is. And, you know, we can't read too much into that, but I, I think Paul is capable of doing a lot, and I would believe that that maybe there is some uh, question being raised, at least, as to some of those who might believe differently, uh, as Paul did at one time in his own life.
0: Yeah, we fully believe that though this letter is addressed to Timothy, it would have been shared in the context of the house churches, and so... Th- there, the entire congregation would have almost certainly had the opportunity to hear these kind of words and to probably have some sense of who Paul's talking about in the, in regard to these misguided teachings. Uh, it, it is very unlikely that this letter ended with Timothy reading it and didn't get passed on to the church at large there in Ephesus. So uh, certainly, I think, I think that's part of the mix. I hope you can be with us tomorrow. Um, some, some of the really, I think, standout verses of the first chapter come tomorrow, as well as, again, one of those kind of doxology praise moments that Paul is, uh, prone to have a, I think your best, um, your best example of that in the first chapter will, I th- we saw a glimpse of it today. You'll see it clearly tomorrow. But uh, thanks for being with us today, and we'd love for you to join us. Continue to be with us if you can. Thanks. Thanks. Mm-hmm.